0: Well, good morning. Oh, you did so much better this morning. Good job.
1: It must be morning people.
0: You're morning people. Wow. It's kind of weird. Um, and we have enjoyed just hanging out with you, talking about the journey, the, the parenting journey, and and that's what we're doing, um, you know, and, and often in church, and in in circles and spaces and places like this, the, the circles our tribe that we travel in, man, we feel like we've got to over-spiritualize things and, and not just be real and not talk about them as they are. So we just had a good time uh, in one of the breakouts talking about sexuality and purity and uh, just kind of trying to express that. I, I did hear about this little girl. She uh, was at that age, and we just told the group we hung out with, you know, that age is getting younger and younger. She was at that age where she realized she wanted answers, so she went to her mom, and she said, Mom, where do babies come from? And her mom gave her some elaborate answer that involved this big, white, feathery bird. I mean, the stork. I mean, and and as weird as that sounds, it, it seems like in a lot of things about parenting, that's kind of what we do, even in church circles, we, we dismiss it to things that are more like fable than the, the truth of God's word. And so uh, she then goes to her grandmother in the next room and says, Grandma, where, where do babies come from? And her, her grandmother gives her a very similar, slightly different, but very similar story. And so she just walks out shaking her head, and she goes outside, and her friend, her next door neighbor is there. And they just begin to talk as they're playing. And she said, you need to pray for my family. It's been at least two generations since we've had a normal birth. It's crazy. <laughs> and, and I guess I would just say our, our kids are smarter than we think, right? So that's why what we're doing here is so important that we're founding this on God's word. Um, but we're, we're looking at this in, in practical ways. We, from the beginning with our children, we've, we've tried even in their names to speak God's truth into their lives. Um, so Micah, our oldest, is, is named Micah Paul. Um, and we just remind him regularly that God has shown you what he requires of you. And, and that's just how you have to live, uh, to do right, to live with justice and, and to love mercy, to, to be compassionate, and to walk humbly with the Lord. So as a young age, he's known that his, his name uh, speaks God's truth into his life. Noah, uh, our Caleb, is our next son, and, and we messed him up because we have a couple of our sons where we call them by their middle name, and so he's Benjamin Caleb, and, and man, we just remind Caleb regularly that his, his example in Scripture um, took the mountain even at an old age, I mean, he's a man even late into life that just pursued God. And then our next son, Noah. Noah is the only uh, son that one of his names is is not a biblical character, but it's really close. So he is Noah Graham, named after Billy Graham. And, And we just remind him that these are two of the greatest preachers that have walked the earth because the Bible says that Noah was a man of righteousness and a leader and, and we speak into his life and, and then Josiah, Luke, Josiah, uh, of course, a, a great king and then Dr. Luke and, and uh, so Caleb and Luke have really answered a call into vocational ministry and Micah's an English teacher. Noah, man, he could do anything. He, who knows what he may be. He may be the next president, but right now he's, he's studying exercise science. But we remember even as a child, we're teaching them about their names and we're talking to them about God's word. And you were talking about this crazy interaction you had with Noah.
1: Yes, we were. We had dropped all or his older brothers off at school and we were driving, going to his little class and he's sitting back there eating his muffins or something. But all of a sudden I said, you know, he's kind of quiet. I'm kind of looking at him. He's got this serious look on his face. (laughs) And I said, Noah, you okay, buddy? Yeah, just thinking. Hmm. What you thinking about, Noah? (laughs) He said, Mama, I know I built that boat, but I cannot remember it for the life of me. (laughs) So So, So sometimes you got to be a little more clear.
0: (laughs) So today we just want to be kind of clear about some of these biblical truths, these uh, what I could call family values. We want to remind you, you know, we've got a family, our family, uh, I think we've got another picture of them. I I want to read just... this verse, is, as you think about uh, our family, there you see him. Children are a heritage from the Lord, an offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame uh, when they contend with their opponents in court. And so before we go any further, I, I just want to take a moment and, and thank God for those blessings that he's given us or, uh, or maybe you're one of those that you're you're on deck. You're just a couple of months away or something. We're we're thanking God for what He's sending our way, um, and then I want to pray that He would use this time just for our good and His glory. All right. So hey, I, sometimes in our church we do something kind of crazy. We we do a lot of things that are kind of weird. But did y'all know that it's okay to pray without closing your eyes? I mean, I do this all the time when I'm driving because I tried closing my eyes. And so, but no, it's okay. So I, I want us to keep our eyes open. And in fact, I want maybe just to hold your hands out like this. And again, if you're with your spouse, you, you may make some eye contact with them. But you may even look at, uh, around at some of the village, because this is the village, right? And, and just ask God to fill our hands and our hearts and our minds with what we need during these moments. So, Father, I'm looking out at uh, your church. This is your bride. Um, this is the body Christ Lord and you have uh, gifted us with children and uh, they are a gift wow we are so blessed and they're at different ages and stages and and so are we and we're trying to figure this thing out and so we just want to declare we desperately need you so Lord would you just meet us here and with open hands we're asking give us what we need because we're needy And with hearts and minds, we say, teach us what we've not yet learned. And Lord, as we just look at one another, we're pieces of clay. Yeah, Some of us are cracked pots. So just uh, make us into those people you want us to be, those parents you want us to be. And we know, Jesus, that'll be for our good, but it'll most of all be for your glory. So thank you, Lord. As Kimberly and I are here, let the words we say and even our thoughts please you in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Think about this. There's no other position in life that has the potential to leave the lasting impact like a parent. And yet most of us enter parenthood overwhelmed and under-equipped, ill-prepared. And so, so that's why moments like these are significant. But I want to remind you of our ground rules. This is a no condemnation, no separation place. So so we understand we've, we've kind of come into this, and probably a, a lot of you like me, you've got some failures already in parenting. <laughs> we were talking just yesterday as, as we were thinking about our weekend together, just one of the funny conversations she had with one of our sons just about something I said and and the impact of that statement and I've said so many things in in the last almost 30 years now 27 years of parenting so many things I wish I could take back and say differently or do differently but I'm so thankful that that my failures don't don't have to be final nor fatal and neither do you but the reality is we try a lot of things that are the wrong thing and so I want to just give you some of those real quickly I'm going to fly through these, so again, if, if you're taking notes with your thumbs or uh, with your pen, pencil, lipstick, Crayola, mascara, whatever you can to jot these down, you might want to jot them down. Some of these are not going to be on the screen. Uh, this came from Tim Kimmel, who who wrote Grace-Based Parenting. He just talked about some faulty models that we have for parenting. Uh, the first is fear-based parenting, or intimidation. Fear-Based parenting. So. Again, you know how this works. Bless God, you do that again, son? Oh, you know, so it's all about rules. And you do know the principle that uh, rules without that proper and right relationship are going to lead to rebellion. So fear-based parenting. Our evangelical behavior modification. This is a big one among our tribe. So we think because, um, you know, I grew up, for example, saying, I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't go with girls that do. Right, I mean, I, I was as church as you could get. I had a drug problem. I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night. I mean, <clears throat> and so if you're not careful when you come up like that, in, instead of relying on the gospel and discipling our kids in, in what is right, we just try to change their wrong behavior. And some of us have lived long enough to see that doesn't work. Another one would be just image control parenting. So it's very similar to behavior modification, but this one is just saying, uh, I'm just going to change the way you look for everybody else. And and so these are the homes where the children watch their parents say one thing outside of the house, but display another thing inside of the house, and their parents try to get them to do the same. So we want to make sure we look and dress and talk and sound right, Around other people but that may not be who we are and then there's high control or we could call this helicopter parenting this may be the case if you're coming from a situation where um, maybe you've been through abuse or, or you didn't have control in, in your upbringing and and so as a result of that man you're just ready to control everything and you think you're gonna control everything in your children's life and as we talked about in our breakout that's just not the way it, it's going to be. You can't do that. that. The reason this is a failure model is because that can't happen. And then this is a big thing today, herd mentality. Just what is everybody else doing? So, um, man, if, if the rest of the soccer team is doing that, I guess it's okay. If everybody's going over to their house tonight with the other high schoolers, I guess that's all right. You said these friends in the youth group, their parents let them do that. Or, okay, that's okay. And so we're not basing our standards on something that is objective truth, but we're basing it on the sub- subjective reality of, of what others are doing. And then here's a here's where um, we really get into trouble. And maybe what some of you have found yourself in and that's why you're here which is nine one one parenting or, or crisis management so man I, I've now got this situation I'm way over my head and I'm no longer ashamed to admit it all of those are realities in our parenting but but that's not what should guide us and, and what we want to talk about today is these biblical principles that guide us yesterday was life realities today is biblical principles you remember the life realities let me just remind you this is us that's the me factor I, I've got to know what I'm bringing to the table and some of that's good we both brought some good things to our parenting table we both brought some things that probably needed to be adjusted and then we talked it takes a village and, and now since you know the language, I reminded you a moment ago, this is part of your village, right? I, I love seeing you hang out and, and some of you know each other and, and you're doing life together. But the, the big thing about this is, is the reality that we choose who's in the village. And then they had those but God moments, that, that understanding that, man, But for the grace of God, we're not going to survive this thing. But thank you, Jesus, there is the grace of God. God gives us the grace to walk through that. That's something you've got to hold on to. God's grace is sufficient. The big takeaway. I want you to get this big thing that we walked with yesterday. You get to choose who or what will impact or influence your family. So choose to live and lead for the glory of God. Make the choice. A great family passage for this. You'll see it on uh, prints, on, in people's homes, in the doorways as they enter in. It comes from the book of Joshua. Let me just read it to you, make you familiar with it again. Joshua 24 15. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It's your choice. They had the choice, according to Joshua, if you you know the context of that, they could serve the gods of the Canaanites. They could serve the gods of the Egyptians, where they used to be. They were where the Canaanites were now. The Egyptians were where they used to be. Or they could go way back. They could serve the gods of the Babylonians, where their ancestor Abraham had come from. Or they could serve the Lord. I'm asking you to make a decision to say in our family We're gonna serve the Lord because if you don't make that decision, you'll find unintentionally all these other gods with little Gs are creeping into your home and they become what drive and influence and impact your family. They're idols. And you know, an idol can be anything, even a good thing that you make the thing. You don't want that. You wanna serve the Lord. So the way we're going to deal with that is by looking at these biblical principles. But before we jump into that, let me just remind you. At the end of our lives, I said this at the conclusion last night. I want to say it again. At the end of our lives, we will not be judged on the amount of material possessions we have left our children. But we will be accountable for the legacy of faith that we leave behind. So choose wisely. All right. Biblical principles. I'm going to give you, I think it's four of these, and just we're going to talk through them. But let me remind you of kind of one of those verses we always talk about with parenting. Proverbs 22, 6, start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they'll not turn from it. What does that say to us? Regardless of where you are in the parenting journey, we should be thinking about, we should be thinking now about when they're old. And I think that's where some of us mess up. We're consumed in the moment. We're consumed with them being the next best little league basketball player, or soccer player, or baseball player, or gymnast, or pageant contestant. And our energy, our effort, our fuel goes more into that than what is this that I want them to look like when they're old. Why? Because a a parent's job really is to raise adults, not children. We say we're raising children, and and even that, though, that's just part of our our terminology. Even that just gets it wrong, doesn't it? We're raising adults, so I want to be thinking now about what they want to be like then. And that's going to take intentionality that doesn't happen accidentally and it doesn't happen by me just showing up a couple times a week at church and just putting them in the aquarium with the other fish it's it's going to take discipleship parenting From your standpoint, we tell folks in our church all the time, we're going to do everything we can to have a a safe and secure, Jesus-centered preschool and and children and and student ministry. We want them to learn the things of God here. We we want you to know that when you bring them within these walls, the, the tools that they're going to get do help them. But we are not the primary discipler for your child. You are. And so if that's the case, then you have to understand these biblical principles. Um, In the message, which is a paraphrase of Scripture, this verse sounds a little different. I I want you to listen to this, Proverbs 22, 6. Point your kids in the right direction so that when they're old, they won't be lost. Sometimes the message gets it right. Sometimes it's a little stretch. I like what it says here. When we understand them for who they are in these early years and we guide them according to biblical principles, God's way, it's going to last and protect them as they get older. So before I give you those principles, I, I came across this. These are called guides, guides to parenting. And it's given to us from Dr. Emerson uh, Eckert, And he, he wrote this in the book, Love and Respect for Family. But I want to just give you these, and then we're going to talk about how they work in our family a little bit. Uh, the, the first letter of, of guides is G. Give so that your child's basic needs can be met. That's part of what we do as parents, right? We need to make sure there's food on their table, that, that they don't leave home without their clothes on. I mean, we, we've got to give.
1: I think that's you know, pretty clear on uh, what that means um, as far as those basic needs are concerned. But also, we need to be able to give them emotionally. We need to be able to give to them of our time. We need to be able to give of ourselves and listen. And um, that, that's what that said to me as far as give. Okay.
0: Second one is understand. Understand so that your child is not provoked or ex- exasperated.
1: I think we have to understand that they're human and that they are going to make mistakes. We have to listen and understand where they're at, where they're coming from. Again, listen. Maybe they had a reason for the thing that they did. Listen to them. Give them understanding, and, and but always point them back to the Bible because that's where their understanding has to come from.
0: Some of you in here are growing up with children that are struggling, for example, with autism and, and all kinds of issues that seem like they've escalated Um, whether they have escalated or we're just more aware. But I I think of those realities and the differences among our five children. And I I really want to hang out there a second. I think about one of our sons that I would look at his response to me, and my initial response to his response would be, I mean, zero to 90 frustration. Because I felt like he was being disrespectful. As he got older. And as we began to help him get some help. For some things we noticed in his life. He was able to articulate to me. Dad I'm, I'm not being disrespectful. It, it's actually the opposite. Sometimes I'm processing what you've said. And I don't have the words to respond. Man talk about some of those moments I wish I could take back I I realized because I didn't understand there have been moments I disobeyed the scriptures actually and exasperated my child because I didn't see him the way God created him that's what that verse really means train up a child in the way that they are meant to be the way that God literally in the Hebrew it says the way that God has bent them And the way you do that is you understand. Instruct. This is instructing your child so that they can know and apply God's wisdom. Kimberly, you've been so good at that. And, and you do that, uh, your your job for couple of decades has been investing in other people's children in this way. But take a minute Right. Talk this about always,
1: that. this makes me think of a couple of children that I had that were in kindergarten. And um, I was blessed that I teach at a Christian school. So Bible verses, you know, just even there, this is something that at a young age, everything, you know, that we did, we wanted to place a Bible verse with it to kind of train them even at that age that that that's their instruction book or that's where they get the rules, that the rules just weren't something that Mrs. Purvis made up, but these were rules that came from God's guidelines. And um, so we had uh, these two little boys and we had taught, um, you know, a friend loves at all times and be kind one to another and simple things like that. And I all of a sudden hear this ruckus in my classroom that is like screaming, gnashing of teeth, hitting fists. I mean, they are all out war over this toy, and I am booking it over to the other side. What's going on? What's going on? And I mean, they are screaming out, a friend loves at all times. Give me a, give me a, give me a, be kind to one another. And they are like using the scripture and beating each other up at the same time. And I was like, wow whoa, okay, okay. Let's look at the scripture, how it was meant to be. Are you being a friend that loves at all times? Are you being kind one to another? But it's a simple way that that maybe they might need a little extra help and understanding, you know, not only to give them those Bible verses, but how they actually play out in life. And it's, it's never too young to start, but even at an older age, you know, I can think of times that, that I would be talking to one of my boys, even just, I, I got to drive them home from school because they were at my school and be able to talk through them just even mistakes I've made and how God's guided me back to that, um, to the truth or something they might be dealing with. Um, but what was, I don't know the answer. Maybe we just need to kind of think of some, let's brainstorm. Let's think of some Bible verses. Let's think of something that's going to help us deal with that friend because you're right. Man, this stinks.
0: Godly instruction is so much more than just a transfer of information. Just let that sink in for a second. So not only can you not just bring them to this space and, and just let them receive information in your home. It, it can't just be a list of, of what to do and not to do, Wh- which takes us to discipline. Uh, you, you've got to work on discipline so that your, your child can correct their poor choices.
1: Yes, this is true. <laughs> I feel like I'm learning that in such a great way. In the last few years, I, I tease, I don't mean to throw in a, the bus, but she, our daughter has come to us with so many, so much in her life, and so there's been a lot of um, interesting ways that we've um, disciplined her. I can remember uh, the day that we adopted her, and we're sitting in the court. And uh, all day that day, I had talked to her about, she had this great imagination back then, and she liked to be called Beaver.
0: She still likes to be called different things. Yes. But back then, it was Beaver, and that was from a cartoon. It, that, it was
1: from a cartoon that she was watching. Anyway, was, and she liked it. She hearing. liked to pretend that her name was Beaver. And so I had talked to her about, sometimes people at church would ask, oh, what's your name? She'd be like, Beaver. And I'd be like, no, don't no. say that. No, mm-mm, that, that's not your name. And so now we're going to court. Like this is the day. She's we're gonna sitting become before a judge. Purpose. I'm I was, nervous. I was sweating. We have all our children, and I am just telling her, do not say beaver. Like you have to say your correct name. And so she's got this little twinkle in her eye. So we're all sitting around in the court. The judge starts asking everybody their name, and I feel it coming. And so Dad says his name, I say my name, and is right here beside me. hmm And she just stops. And it gets kind of silent, and I'm thinking, oh, no. And she gets this big smile on her face, and she said, my name is Beaver. <laughs> Just like that. Well, the, the lawyer for us starts fumbling all over herself oh look at her she's so cute she has such a great imagination I am in that girl's ear you better tell him my right name right now tell him your right name right. and I I'm an I'm an and I and Nicole that's my name and so she tells her name real quick and we get through the moment and I'm just like I cannot believe this just happened and so we're walking out to the car we have our older boys she's got the big teddy bear from the judge everybody's happy and we're walking to the car and I said Anaya, guess what happens when we get in the car and she's like what I'm like, you get to have time out. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. And I was just like, yeah, I know it's a special day, but guess what? And my um, boys, and be honest, my husband, a little bit, he was, his heart was melting a little bit. How are we going to put this little girl? We're going to discipline her right now. And she's not even this a perfect.
0: This orphan into our family, and mom puts her in time out.
1: And so we walked straight to that car. I put her in her car seat. She is flailing. She's screaming. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I like, set the boy's timer four minutes. She was four. I just turned four. And so she, we put the timer on. That girl screamed. She cried. She did her four minutes. And after that, the buzzer went off and we took her and I said, what did you do wrong? She said, I'm going to be wrong. did you know you weren't supposed to do that? Yes. I'm like, do I still love you? I'm like, yes. And we hugged her. And we loved on her. and we spoiled her rotten for the rest of the day. But I remember one of them saying, Mom, are you really going to put her in time out? I mean, it's gotcha day. And I'm like, yes, I just swore an oath before a judge and God that I am going to parent this child. And I'm going to parent this child. And that's what that means. And I'm going to tell one other because I just love this story because it taught me so much in the moment. But, and I uh, uh, came with us with a, let's just say, a colorful um, communication. She, she knew quite a few words. Um, that most don't. She cussed. Yeah. A lot.
0: Three years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The
0: F-bomb, all of it.
1: Everything. It, it was pretty much 80% of her conversation. And obviously we knew that that was learned, that that was not something that she understood completely, but she had gotten to a point, she knew it was wrong. Like she knew which words, you know, she would even say, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this. but she would even say, can I say ship? And I'd be like, you can say ship. She would go through the list. She had something different for every word. She knew exactly what she was doing. Her
0: older brothers couldn't watch SpongeBob, and now all of a sudden, their three-year-old sister's cussing like a sailor. It's crazy.
1: So after a while, she had kind of learned it, and she kind of learned the drill. And so one day, it was, she had really gotten great. I don't know what was going on with her, but she, she would just, all of a sudden, she'd just blurt one of the words out. I would turn around look at her, and she goes, i got to go to timeout. And she would sit down She'd hop up, and she'd go, okay, give me my hug. And so then I would wrap my arms around her, and I would forgive her. And then it wouldn't be 30 minutes later. she could come running back to where I was, learn another word out. i got to go to timeout. And she would spot. And then she would say, okay, I'm ready for my hug. And I realized that this young, naive girl really just wanted love. And she wanted the boundaries of discipline. And she wanted to understand that I was not going anywhere and that no matter what she did, that I loved her. And it changed my heart in that moment. Um, I think I would have known that had you told me that, but to watch it play out in this young girl so desperate for boundaries in her life and for love. And um, just how sometimes I think in that, how, was that how I was as a rebellious teenager? Running around, just waiting for those boundaries. That safe place to say, but I still love you. This is your safe place.
0: God still loves you. Kimberly was telling us we drove over this morning, just her time in the Word today in Hebrews. That's what Scripture says about the way God loves us and why He disciplines us. It's so that we might know His love in greater fullness. The next uh, letter, the letter E, is encourage. Encourage so that your children can develop their God given gifts. Man, that's that's so important. And I'll just say to that, Kimberly, is is recognizing our kids are different. And so they're not all going to be good at everything. And and dads, this is a big thing for us. They're not all going to be good at the things you want them to be good at. Don't try to make a mini-me or to, to fit them into your image. No, they're supposed to grow into the image of God. That's whose image they were created in. They they may have some things that look like you or mom, but they got God's image stamped on their soul. And so give them the freedom. Encourage them in those ways you see his work flourishing in their lives. And then that last one is supplicate. That's just to get the S in, I think. But that's a fancy way of saying pray for them. Cover them in prayer so that they can experience God's, um, God's truth and his touch. Now, what we want to encourage you to do is find these biblical principles or these family guiding values that work for you. We've done some of those in the Purvis pack. So a a while back, we asked our boys, hey, what do you think are the values? The the classroom that that we taught in last hour, you look up on the wall and you see this church's values. Do your children know your family values? Do those... Do they know the things beyond the fact that just you're a Christian that are guiding values in our home? So let me just give you some of ours. We call ourselves the Purvis Pack. So we would say love runs deep in our family. Family is really important.
1: Yeah, and I love this. Um, We started this really young and talking about how friendships are very important because friendships are very important, but family never ends. And you have four brothers or you have two brothers, or you have a sister, or you have, you know, God created this family. And as we are brought together, we're adopted or not adopted, or however your family looks, or a blended family, but God brought this family together, and, and we're here forever. And, and it, this is the most important relationships. I think he even used to say, we're going to be dead and gone. Y'all are gonna be around after us, and y'all need each other. And these these relationships are so important. And there is nothing better. As much as I loved watching them run around and be crazy and play together when they're little, there is nothing better than to watch your older children prioritize each other and love each other. They're best friends. And, and I'm not going to say that's because of us. I'm, I'm grateful that we started, started that conversation with them, but they have upheld that. And they're not perfect, but they love each other and they love family.
0: I get emotional thinking about this one because uh, the most intense I've ever gotten with my boys is over this issue. It's when they're at each other's throat. And I pull them aside. If I'm somewhat in the spirit, I go outside. (laughs) But I get loud. And I I remind them that they're going to be family for the rest of their lives. There's nothing that can get in that way. And so as they've watched over these last few years, first in my family and now in Kimberly's, we both have brothers that we, big brothers that we love, that we're close to. But there's been some stress in those relationships when a family walks through death and there's distance. And um, now that my kids are adults, those boys, we're open. And we said, look at this. I said to one of them in the last two months, when, when I die, there's going to be room for six people around that bed if you're there. You're one of those. Y'all've got to get this right. You've got to stay together. So that's one of our values. Um, and then the Bible's our standard. We've, we've done this, say we're little children. We, we won't spend, we're going to talk about some of these principles in our last two minutes. But uh, we just want them to know we're not going to make decisions about what they should do or how they should live based on how they feel. We don't make decisions based on our feelings. We make decisions based on beliefs and convictions, and those come from the Word of God. So when they come home with questions, we always say, what does the Bible say? And guess what, Mom and Dad? That means you're going to have to learn, what does the Bible say? The Bible's our standard. Um, We tell them they're always representing us, um, Jesus and us. In, in fact, because Anaya, Anaya still interacts with her birth great grandparents. Um, She's—they pick her up from school a couple days a week. It, we have—it takes a village, especially a village with Anaya. And so, a lot of folks in our church help out. And uh, I'll get in her face since she was little, but still today, I'll say if she's going somewhere, I'll say Anaya, you know what to remember. And she says, "Yes, sir. I'm a Purvis and a princess, and I always represent Jesus." I mean, they know that this is something important to us, that the things they do, my kids, my boys, when they were growing up, and they might get in trouble at school or we're having to take their phone because we found out they found something online that they shouldn't be looking at, they knew that that was not just a reflection on them, that that's a reflection on their earthly father and their heavenly father. Be kind. (laughs) Be kind. Our church and my family always hears us say this. The Christ follower never has the liberty to be unkind. One of those verses that my mom instilled in me uh, was Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So kindness is pretty important to I, us. That
1: was very important um, in our home. Uh, they're not a, This is not the place we're going to tease each other. We're not going to, you know, especially smack talk, all that stuff that, Boys, or even girls, girls can be ugly. And any of that, that mm, that's not happening here. It's just not. Um, kindness, always. And, um, and that could even be outside playing basketball. I mean, whatever, they could be wrestling, and sometimes we go, stop, stop, both people smiling, you know, and they look up and go, and you go, okay, you can keep going. But at, at some point, you know, they're boys, and they're gonna be that way, but only kind words were spoken in our home to each other.
0: And all of those things are part of what made home a safe place. We wanted our, our children, we want our children still to know. Home is a safe place. It's a safe place to bring your friends. It's a safe place for you to hang out. If you need to retreat, it's a safe place. In July, um, our second oldest son, Caleb, became a pastor on our staff at our church. And so he and his wife moved to town. And it's, it's funny and sweet and we love it. But we begin to notice that like regularly, like a bunch of nights a week, they would call and say, what are y'all doing for dinner? <laughs> and, and we realized that, that Caleb and now even his wife, because she felt the warmth of the home during those dating and courting years, that that's a place they want to hang out. With Anaya, we went through a process with a social worker like some of you have, have gone through. And, and you remember what the social worker would say when they would come and visit our house? Uh, how, how they would respond and, and why ultimately they thought this was a good place for Anaya. We didn't talk about this. Do you remember what I'm saying?
1: I think mainly, I mean, there was just, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're saying, but just that open... <laughs> I'm trying to, this is many years ago. I'm going to pay for that. i got that. a lot more gray hairs. But she, yeah, there was a different, they can feel. People feel the presence of God in a home.
0: This social worker came into our home and, and said, we can sense the peace. All right. I do
1: remember that Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. <laughs> Michael's back there giving me the stink eye. So I've got like six minutes and so here's the deal we're going to make. What I'm going to give you is founded in Scripture. I'm not going to read the Scripture. I'd encourage you not just to trust me to, to take these passages down and, and go back and let this seep into you because, because these are those biblical principles. Number one, dedicate your family to God repeatedly. Remember how I said last night, beginning with Micah, but we held each of our children in our arms When they were born, when Anaya came in our home, we did the same. And we said, God, this is your child. You know the great thing about that? Then when you have a problem, we can say, God, do something with your child. No, but repeatedly. And so the the biblical story that I would walk through with all of these is Hannah. You remember the story of Hannah in, in First Samuel? She desperately wants this child, so what does she do? She prays out to God and asks God for this child. And in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 1, I'll just show you this verse. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And then notice what she says. And And, and she, I can't read that. And she... <laughs> And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, I will give him back to the Lord for all the days of his life. Now, did she do it? That's the question. If you just keep journeying through that chapter and into the next chapter, she did. After he was born, it says after he was weaned, she went back to the Lord and said, this is your child. Then chapter two, she sings a song of praise to the Lord. Thank you for your child. Dedicate your family to the Lord repeatedly. That's stewarding the gift that Kimberly talked about so beautifully last night. So um, just a quick question would be, how would our family look different if, if we dedicated every aspect of our family life first to the Lord? If it was clear that that was the most important thing with how we stewarded our family's finances, our time, our, our efforts in parenting. How would it look different? Number two, model Jesus honoring prayer and praise in and outside of your home. This is so significant that your children, this is those times of family worship, right? So whether you grew up like I did and we had family devotion, I, I can remember um, Man, in, in our, our home, my dad would gather us together, and uh, every every night that we did this, he would take this. There was this devotional guide that Southern Baptists used to print called Open Windows, and it would have a scripture verse and a short devotional. And then we would turn in the middle, and the middle was yellow, and it would list the birthdays of the missionaries, the Southern Baptist missionaries. And we'd read their names, and then we would all get on our knees, and we would pray. And I'll be honest, my mother still to this day is a prayer warrior, but boy. She's a long prayer, and many times, like me, my brother, even my dad, I think some of us would fall asleep. Uh, But I remember those family times of worship. Well, if you read through this story in Samuel, Hannah repeatedly goes back to God, and she repeatedly Praise to him and she repeatedly praises him and so you modeling that makes a difference that's where i want to give you that quote uh, that that i said last night it is unlikely that your children will prioritize the things they watch you marginalize so you can't just say this is important whether that's coming to church whether that's um these family times of worship you've got to model that in your lives
1: and this is one of my favorite stories that um, about our son, Luke. We've been a little hard on baseball and basketball and all those sports and things as far as taking your time. I want you to understand that we have traveled the state with our little Luke. He, um, he was passionate, is passionate about soccer. And he was talented. God had truly gifted him in the area of soccer. And I love to watch soccer. So this was just... It, it's just a passion for our family. We've just just loved it. And, um, but there came a time with the traveling, because of he was gifted, he was placed on quite a few teams. They, they wanted him to go places, and they wanted him to do things. And there came a time where we had to say, all right, buddy, you can. You can play on that team. That's great. And we'll travel everywhere, but not on Sunday. And it took him back for a second, because everybody else went on Sunday. They left church. Well, we can watch it online. <laughs> nowadays you know i watch it while we drive it's gonna be fantastic but we came to a place where we just said not sundays in the first couple of years we told the coach okay this is a deal i know you won't look on your team but this is just a this is how we this is our faith and he's not gonna go on sundays that's just the deal and um every now and then we'd have him come and say you know i mean the game's at one do you think you can make it you know i mean like two hours away three hours away no we're, we're not gonna do that um
0: but sometimes he would come but, to an early but, service. And... Yeah,
1: but there was times that, that we we did. We made um, arrangements for that. There's many a times he came on Sunday in his soccer uniform. And as soon, you know, as soon as that amen was done, boom, he and I were out the door. They even got second in state. It was the state, second in state. They were going for state. It was a ways away. And he was, I mean, he was in that uniform. He was shaking. And as soon as, you know, we got there and we ran up and they were like, yeah. And nobody was upset. Nobody. They just knew. The people knew that for us, that standard was different, and they were so excited because it was like fresh blood. Because he he wasn't tired from the first half, and he played that second half of the game, and it was so exciting. But it instilled in something to him that when in high school, it came a time. It was a new team, and all of that, and uh, they were wanting him to come to this very important game. It was a very important game, and so. He looked at me, and I looked at him. I said, I'll go talk to Coach. I'll I'll let him know. He's like, no, Mom, I'm going to go tell Coach. And he began to make that standard for himself.
0: Yeah, this is not about legalism. It's about your priorities. I don't know what more to say about that. Well, I'm going to just give you some of this, because we wouldn't have thought it up if we didn't think it was good. (laughs) So just trust me, all right? In these priorities, you need to be doing two things. You need to be praying with your children, but you also need to be praying for your children. There's a great story in Mark 5 of a man named Jairus. Do you remember why he comes to Jesus? Does anybody remember? His daughter's dying. Do you remember what happens? Jesus gets caught up. He's trying to make her way, his way to her house, but he gets caught up, and he actually performs another miracle, the lady with the issue of blood. And... Um, So much so that Jairus gets a notification that, hey, no need to hurry anymore. Your daughter's dead. Jesus takes notice and says, that's not an issue. (laughs) If you allow me to paraphrase it. And then he goes and heals her. Now, that's just one story. But let me use this to give you maybe the best statement of this whole weekend. Jesus never turned away a parent who wanted to talk to him about their children. If you want to talk to Jesus about your children, he's ready to listen. He may not always answer the way you want or in your timing. But he's not going to turn you away. Next, develop your family's sensitivity to the word of God. I love the story because Hannah's son Samuel... What happens? You remember the story? He's in the temple. He hears the voice of God. He thinks it's Eli, and then eventually he understands this is the voice of God. What I want you to know is Hannah raised a young man who became sensitive to the voice of God. That's what you should be doing with your young men and women. Raise them in such a way that the word of God is not foreign to them. So does any of this make a difference? Let me just read this verse from chapter 3 of 1 Samuel. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. And there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. I want you to think about this. A nation and even an entire generation can be positively impacted by one child who's effectively trained in the way that he or she should go. What you're investing in, these moments on a Saturday morning, but these hours and these days and these weeks and these years in your children, is the biggest investment you'll make. It's so much more important than your 401k. It's so much more important than your status at your job. This is your spiritual legacy. So here's the last biblical principle. Man, when in doubt, and you will be in doubt. When in doubt, rest and rely on the grace of God. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? That was not a rhetorical question. Aren't you thankful for God's grace? And aren't you thankful for that verse where where Paul, we don't know what his thorn was in, in Corinthians, but, but he says, I know this, God's grace is sufficient for me. See, how you view God and how you view his grace, that's going to have a a direct view on your parenting. If God is some distant deity or if God is some cosmic killjoy or if God is Santa Claus or if he's your papa, if that's the way you look at God and his grace, that's going to affect your parenting in all these wrong ways. But if you see God as the gracious God of the scriptures, oh, it's going to change everything. Remember what I, I told you at the end yesterday? Romans eight verse thirty one. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, give us graciously all things? You all okay with one last story? This is your time, so I got to make sure. So we moved to Tampa from Branson, Missouri. It'd be hard to find two so vastly different places in the same country as we did. 25% of the town we live in is now Muslim, just to put it in perspective. We lived in a place where everybody, all they talked, lived, and breathed was God and country. We had built our dream home on four acres, and yet God made a crystal clear call to Tampa to us. And so here we are moved and we, we move into a rental house and we just got a big outside dog because I'd always wanted an outside dog since I was a little kid. And, and so he was roaming on our acreage there in Missouri. And then we moved to Florida and realized nobody has outside dogs and they bark and they're hot. And so we have an inside dog and an outside dog inside with our four boys in this little rental house in Florida. And we'd walk the neighborhood and just say, God, where are we going to live? And I remember one day we walked by this bigger house and we said, well, we could live in that one. That's big enough. It's got a fence for the dog, everything. And I go in the next day in Charlotte. I talked to Donna, my assistant, and I say, man, we found a house. You need to pray for it. And she said, where is it? I told her, she said, that guy goes to our church. I'm like, nah. But I got to know him and I jokingly said one day, hey, if you ever sell your house, remember us. Um, About five months later, I had preached the first service. He came down from the, second, from the balcony, and he said, Pastor, I need to tell you, I just got back from Cuba. I was doing a mission trip. I got home, and my wife had left me. She moved everything out of the house, but God told me I've got to sell you my house. I'm like, hold on. We're not going to talk about your house. Did you say you just got back yesterday and, and your wife had moved everything out of your house? And he said, yeah. He said, it's terrible. I said, he said, but God told me I got to sell you my house. I said, no, we're not talking about your house. He said, come to my office, let me pray with you. Well, I'll pray with you, but I, God told me I've got to sell you my house. I went to my office, I prayed with him. My dad was actually in town, so my dad came and prayed and he said, call me after church. I got to sell you my house. So it was six doors away and, and so I... I um, I texted him after church and I said, hey, um, are you serious? He said, please come by while your dad's in town. I want you to see the house. I walk in. it's the, We walk in. It's the craziest thing ever. She had cleaned everything out of the house. She didn't take the, the kitchen sink, but she did take one of the bathroom sinks. She had taken a chandelier. I mean, everything was gone. We walked in the house and all that was there was stuff that he had in a room. And then upstairs, there was a teenage girl. This guy had been... Um, His granddaughter had been, was just in trouble. And so he had been raising his granddaughter. And she was in this upstairs room. And so we began to talk, and long story short, within like four weeks, we were moving into that house. God told him he had to sell us the house, and so I guess he did. Now, what does that have to do with parenting? You see, it would be... um, about three years later, that, that same man would send me a text. And the text would say, Pastor, do you know anybody in our church that's open to foster care or adoption? And I called him. You heard the story. Anaya came into our home. And today, she's being raised in the house Where her great-grandfather lived for over 30 years and she lives in the room where her birth mother was staying on that sunday afternoon god's grace is enough you know the core of gospel parenting it's just recognizing that he is sovereign and that the providence of god that means the hand of god over the arc of your history the providence of God really is enough to get you through. So trust him. All right. Thank you for letting me go a little over. Thank you for hanging out with the best of the Purvis Pack, my bride. Uh, well, I probably should have let her talk a lot more. And I do hope that uh, if this is your church, you're going to be here in the morning because James is making me work like three different times, I think. <laughs> it's going to be good. Hey, Kimberly. As as Michael comes, they're gonna get when they leave a. Um,
1: again, a jar. mason
0: jar. Could you give them some ideas of what to do?
1: Sure. Um, you said you were okay. I'm
0: okay. gonna get one to stall. Okay.
1: It, it had a great idea inside of it, actually, but um, just as uh, for preschoolers, it's a great place. Um, this is even good for fine motor schools, but if you give them, like, put a little pincher beside it, and it put some colorful pom, little, those little pom-pom balls, I mean, you use cotton balls, but pom-pom, they're rainbow, they're fun, so you could have them anytime they do, you know, they're caught doing something good, they're caught doing something kind, then you have them you know, move it. And once it's filled the cup, maybe they get to go get ice cream or they get to go do something. Maybe you're teaching them like us, you know, I doubt it, but hey, we're not gonna say that word. Look at you, you went all day, you didn't say a bad word. Okay, you get to put something in there. You know, whatever it is, maybe chores or you did your 20 minutes of reading. You know, whatever it is that, that you need for your child to do you know you know your family you know maybe something that you're teaching them it could even just be no sassing or going to bed without crying I mean it can be a lot of things but you can do that simply and easily it's cheap but it's a visual and for children visuals are everything and it also shows them progress like wow I'm doing a great job and then also you know a completion of a great job, which is wonderful, the little ones. Um, some, I, this is not, you know, none of this is new to, to me. But something that somebody said, my s- last son's senior year, I heard this, and I was like, oh, I wish I'd have known this before. But they had the idea of marbles. I'm sure some of you have heard this before. But you put a marble in for every week that you have left with your child. So in his case, you know, that would have been a year, 52 marbles. And then each week you take one out. It just gives you perspective of time. How much time do I have left to speak truth into my child's life? And it'll rip your heart out just a little bit each <laughs> and every week. But, you know, I don't know how big of a jar you wanna get, you know, when you yeah. might wanna start, high school. I mean, that's still, that's quite a few and marbles. If- but I mean, it's also a cool thing for them to see, you know. Looking for them to understand and see how much time we have left in this home. Hey, this isn't too bad of a place. I kind of like mom and dad. You know, maybe I won't go out this weekend. Probably not, but you know, it's worth a try. Yeah, the big deal is that
0: Michael and the pastor and staff of this church, they wanted you to be able to take something to make this a practical reminder of what you're learning. So it may be some of those things. It may be none of those things. It may be something you learned in a breakout. But, But use this as a practical and tangible way to take home something that you're getting out of this time. Father, I thank you again in the name of Jesus for these moments together. Lord, we are all, as uh, many have said before us, we're we're pilgrims in progress. We're pilgrims along the journey uh, of this thing called life and then certainly this thing called parenting. Here's what we know. You are heavenly father. You are a good, good father. You are perfect. And so, Lord, may we just continue to look to and lean on you May we rest and rely on your grace. Jesus, thank you for the hope that you make available because of the gospel. We trust you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.